Let us pray. Holy God, please help us be faithful to you always, whether we fear the end of the world or are assured of your eternal presence. We know all of the world belongs to you. Amen. Amen. Good morning. The Bible really can be a puzzle sometimes. For example, our reading this morning from 1 Corinthians, thank you Ingrid for reading, this reading is quite a puzzle and if you want to read along with me, we're going to take a close look at 1 Corinthians this morning. Verse 29, it says, brothers and sisters, the appointed time has grown short. From now on, let even those who have wives be as though they had none. Okay, so what does Paul mean here exactly, right? I see some giggling. I see some giggling out there. I mean, you could look at this a couple different ways. Neither one of them is the kind of thing you'd expect to hear. Um, we're not talking about, what do they call these days, a hall pass? No, no, that's not what Paul's saying. And then you've got the sort of other extreme is Paul saying, you know, part, part of the Reformation in our own history of Lutherans is... Uh, Luther thought it wasn't right that if you wanted to be a priest or a pastor that you'd have to be celibate your whole life. He said it's okay for people to fall in love and be married. So for Paul here to say to act as though you're not, that's not the kind of advice that I give people. So what does he mean here? Well, it's like I was saying at the children's sermon. Paul is talking about an end to the world order, not the whole world itself. If we think back to ancient times, how was marriage? Was it equitable, men and women in the Roman Empire? No, it was ownership. The man owned the woman, she was property. Okay, a servant, a slave, property. So when Paul says, even if you have that power over someone, the time of Jesus has come near. That's not what it is. That's not what it is in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we are each respectable people and to live accordingly. Act as though this person is not your property, but your co-equal in the eyes of the Lord. Then going on, Paul says, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Again, this seems really strange. I mean, as a pastor, when someone comes to me and they've lost a loved one, 
would I tell them, hey, snap out of it. Act as though you're not mourning. That would be like the worst pastoral advice ever. And yet here this is in Holy Scripture. How are we to make sense of it? Well, it's related to what we just read. There are, again, in ancient cultures, if a man and woman were married and the man dies, the widow was expected to live, to not live, to act as though their life were over, that their whole reason for existence was gone. They were expected to just give up, to be worthless. And that was one of the ways that the ancient church actually grew is because they welcomed in widows and said, your life is not over. You are saved by God's grace. You are important. We need you. And so when Paul says, mourn as though you were not mourning, he's saying, don't be circumscribed by cultural expectations for what mourning should look like. We read on, and it says in the rest of verse 30, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. What does this mean? Why would we not rejoice? I think back to when I was in college and I participated in a ministry where we, a, a group of college kids, would go to different churches and perform. Uh, we would sing songs, we would give a little message, there would be dinner afterwards, and it was a lot of fun. We had a great time, and we would road trip all over Arizona doing this. And one of our biggest uh, gigs was at this huge church in Tucson, a big Lutheran church, and we did an awesome job. I mean, we had people on their feet, they were singing, they were clapping, they were dancing. Uh, it was phenomenal. And I remember it was, uh, it was early February 1st, I think around 2003, if I'm not mistaken. And when we came back to our university in Flagstaff, we always would have church at night. And we were on fire. I mean, we had just done this amazing thing. And at worship, at, in that setting, when it got to the end of the prayers of the people, everyone would say their own prayers. It was like popcorn. People would say their own thing. And we were all saying... Oh, thank you for this wonderful experience I had. Thank you so much. God, you're awesome. The world is great. And it was weird because the rest of the room was like oddly quiet. And after the prayers were over, the pastor scolded us. He said, you all just came back from your trip and we're glad that you had a nice time. But have you listened to the news? Because the shuttle Challenger disintegrated on its re-entry and the whole country is in mourning. Maybe you should know what's going on around you. That's what Paul means when he says, those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. It's not that we can't be happy about things in our life, but we have to be aware of the suffering going on around us. Paul goes on to say, and those who buy as though they had no possessions. I think we know what this is about. We live in a hyper-consumeristic culture, and we are constantly bombarded with messages that say to be successful, to be happy, is to be able to buy the latest luxury item. And 
that message has been around for a long time. And Paul says to us who have faith, we don't need to worry about that. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. We can live simply and in community with one another. Verse 31, Paul goes on to say, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. In the time of Jesus and in the time of Paul, the Roman Empire used the word the world to refer to themselves. If you were a part of the Roman Empire, you were in the world. If you were not, you were considered a barbarian, a non-human. You didn't exist, you didn't matter wherever you lived. And so when Jesus and Paul in the Bible talk about not being of this world, they're saying we're not a part of this world order. It won't last forever. Empires rise and fall. And so Paul is teaching the believers in Corinth, if you have dealings with the world, with the established order, okay, but understand that it's not going to last forever. God's kingdom is not confined to any world order. And when they rise and fall, God's kingdom will be what is left. This is the same kind of idea that we read of in Jonah. Now, Jonah went from his home area of Israel, Palestine, and he didn't want to go to Nineveh. We know that he went to Tarshish, or he tried to go there, which would have been Spain in the western Mediterranean. But we know the story. There was a storm. He got kicked off the boat, swallowed by the fish, spit up, and he finally went to Nineveh, which is now called Mosul, Iraq. At the time, it was the biggest city in the world, the Assyrian Empire. And Jonah didn't want to go because they were his enemies. The Assyrians were going around the world conquering cities with their armies, doing very bad things. And yet, he gets forced into going. And when he gets there, we read, he goes one day into the city and he proclaims this message and everyone believes him. They don't persecute him. They don't beat him up. They don't say, get out of here. We don't like you. They, they listen to him and they receive his message. So what does that mean? It meant that the people of Nineveh were not in agreement with their ruler. Their king was going and taking advantage of other peoples, but the everyday rank and file people living their lives, they, they didn't want to do that. They weren't a part of it. And so they welcomed Jonah. And there was such a, a mass awakening of the people that then the king had no choice but to repent. The king of Nineveh, seeing that the gig was up, that he was outnumbered, went through the whole procedure of tearing his thing and putting on the ashes because he knew that he had no choice. We should never underestimate the power of one person, like Jonah, speaking God's truth. And the same thing is true in our gospel today. When Jesus recruits the next four disciples, Simon, Andrew, James and John, they were all 
fishermen. And what we know at the time is that fishing was a growth industry. As the Roman Empire was expanding, there was this new opportunity because of the city Tiberius being built and renaming the lake the Sea of Tiberius. Tiberius, the emperor in Rome, wanted fish for his empire. And so these four young men were probably ambitious. They saw an opportunity. We can make it for ourselves. We can be made men if we get in on this fishing opportunity. If we work hard and we really do everything we can, we can pull ourselves up and we can be successful. And to that, Jesus says, maybe. But I tell you the truth, your salvation isn't going to come from that. It's going to come from fishing for people. Our salvation comes when we are united, when we form fellowship one with another. More than individual salvation, it is a communal shared fellowship that Jesus calls us into. And so for any of us who struggle with pain, struggle with disease, struggle with fear, struggle with loneliness. Hear these words from the psalm. For God alone I wait in silence. Truly my hope is in God. God alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold so that I shall never be shaken. In God is my deliverance and my honor. God is my strong rock and my refuge. Put your trust in God always, O people. Pour out your hearts before the one who is our refuge. Amen. Please stand as you're able for our hymn of the day.